this is Typical Lydia, and today on Dead Cells we'll be talking about Death Parade. I'd have to say the theme song threw me off terribly, like to the point that I nearly skipped out on this one. I'm glad I didn't, as the premise and delivery is quite dark and morose, and if I like anything, it's morose. This is a kind of anthology series with a meaty wraparound from Madhouse Studios, who also brought us Death Note, Parasite, and High School of the Dead. Some Dead Cells favorites right there. Much like Hellgirl, the main characters are really the focus, while the incidental stories provide the action and the glamour. Death Parade came out in winter 2015 and is available for streaming on Funimation and Hulu. Not much news really since I scrapped a lot of notes I'd taken since the last show, but there has been an announcement for a new D. Grayman series entitled Hallow. It looks like it will be the go-to dark gore action entry for me this year. Speaking of this year, Ajin Demihuman has hit Netflix, and no doubt this will cause a domino effect in fandom for all other Ajin properties because there are quite a few. That's just my prediction though, not like it's going to be the next Attack on Titan or anything, but it could hit pretty big. Death Parade began as a short standalone anime entitled Death Billiards, from what I understand. I do recall watching it and not being very taken, but have come to really like the related series. Not without its shortcomings, it's a nice one season show. Now there is buzz looking forward to a second season, but so far no actual news. At the beginning we meet Machiko and Takashi, a doctor. They arrive in separate elevators into a creepy bar called Quindecum, where they seem to be the only patrons. The barkeep, Deckham, has them push a button to trigger a roulette that will choose what game that they must play. That's all he can tell them as they must play and he can't tell them where they are. Compelled to play along, they don't really understand where they are. They're challenged to a game of darts. It is explained that each section of the dartboard is linked to their bodies. Each hit with a dart will cause the other physical pain. Not until one of them cries out do they believe this. It's very Twilight Zone. Most of the episodes are. More is explained by Nona in the second episode. She seems to be an agent of death and is able to divulge far more to the recently deceased than Deckham is. In a nice twist, the second episode is told in the same time frame about the same two people and the setting is the same as the first, but it's from the point of view of a nameless woman observing the couple play their game of darts. This woman is the new assistant to Nona and Deckham. She is known for most of the series as the dark-haired woman since she has forgotten her name. The only outcome of each game is reincarnation for the player or banishment to the void. As the series progresses, you meet other arbiters, like Deckham, more the management at play in this building that seems to be some sort of limbo between heaven and hell or the void and reincarnation, actually. I like that they avoid the whole heaven and hell sort of default, and rely on a far more Eastern style void or reincarnation. As we go, we learn origin stories of a lot of the people that populate Quindecum and all its related environs. Most of the episodes are wrapped around someone having died on Earth and having to meet Deckham for their judgment. As we learn more about the dark-haired girl, her memories slowly seem to peek out, though only very little at a time, so don't expect any large revelations until near the very end. It's really about how people died, and what they are keeping from the Arbiters or not admitting to themselves. Episode 8 and 9 are my favorite. As a two-part episode, it comes just after an exposition episode that explains a little more about the Arbiters 
and we get a little deeper insight into the machinations of this limbo. Now that the Arbiters aren't exactly cold automatons to us anymore, except Deckham, who is the very embodiment of a cold automaton. He kind of reminds me of a Sebastian Michaelis, so you can see why I really do appreciate Deckham's presence. They introduce two patrons who have been involved somehow in the death of the same woman in episode 8 and 9, which is part of the reason that they are forced to play this game together. Having judgment passed on those whose memories are full of death and blood instead of love lost or promises broken is so much more compelling to me. The imagery in these episodes is far more horrific than what we've been greeted by so far. Sure, the nature of judgment after death is dark, and it plays like 1,000 Ways to Die, if anyone has watched that series. A television series, not anime. Poo-poo boring human people. But to get into the complex murder stories, the aftermath and their memories makes for a very good story here. This is so far the goriest segment too, so it's not like super overt gore. Blood is spilled though, that's for sure. Most of the games end up being quite painful and a little bloody here and there, but episode 8 and 9 do flirt with near jigsaw sensibilities. So Saw fans will probably enjoy the two part at least. Near the end, there is a really rather pretty sequence that is the culmination of the dark-haired woman recovering her memories, and it works in part toward her judgment. So far, since she has no memory and can't display her true nature to the Arbiter Deckham, she has languished in the bar while he waits until the right time to decide her fate. He seems to need things to hinge his judgment on, whether it's teasing out something about the way the person died or the way they lived their life. Working with somebody that has no memories, though, makes his job a little tougher. While this scene with the dark-haired woman should really be where they pour on the beautiful art and flow the timing along with the emotion that it is meant to portray, it seems to drop the ball a little here. There was much more planning put into episode 8 and 9, it seems, so perhaps the creators were a little more horror-minded and focused less on the culmination of emotion in this drama. I guess it really depends on what they figured people would come to this anime for, where they focused their quality on. While I appreciate the horrific scenes being dialed up in high quality, I found the end sequence, a particular end sequence, noticeably lacking when it came to the whole package and the true climax of the story. When you take that into consideration, it seems a little lacking. That would be the shortcoming I was alluding to. It is only really one scene, and there is a little bit of drama that doesn't really click with me, but that's me. The animation style is rather simplistic and the palette dark with many shades of midnight blue. This may play into why the final scenes where the dark-haired girl's story reaches its pinnacle is somewhat lacking. At that rate, we still have a little unfinished business with Deckham and his fixations, which wrap up the series and don't seem as demanding on the Madhouse team as far as gorgeous animation goes. Gorgeous writing is what we get, though. Perhaps a little dramatic for my tastes, but that is what it is, and that's just me being a cold automaton, I bet, and part of why I like Deckham so very much. Is this horror, someone asked? Do people die? For sure. And in fact, they're already dead. I asked, does it scare me? And frankly, yes. The idea that there's anything past death is kind of frightening to me since I'm rather comforted by the idea that it really is just a dirt nap and I'd rather it all just be over. Call that fatalistic or unimaginative if you like, but I call it kind of relieving. Like we need anything more to do. Up next, I'd like to get into a little Vampire Hunter D in anticipation of the now old news that this is being revamped 
pun intended, with a new series entitled Vampire Hunter D. Resurrection sometime in the future. I have an obscure one on the way too, The Skull Man. It seems like that one isn't everyone's favorite, and I'm going to find out why. The always wonderfully dark and dreadful Chris from Vine Torture Cast has been watching Toko, and since he has amazing taste in horror, that one is added to my list naturally. He's also the inspiration for my revisiting Vampire Hunter D, more so than the news of Resurrection, so thank you, Mr. Legrest. Surely I'll be talking about Pet Shop of Horrors soon enough because that one seems to have slipped through the cracks. Be sure to check out Dead Air on splatterpictures.net, our horror movie podcast with me and Wes, Dead Air Nipe. We talk horror movies and usually record moments after watching them, so it's a fresh, steaming, hot horror vomit straight from our rotten brains. If you have anything that you think I should be watching, let me know at nightface.ca. Leave a comment wherever you found this episode or find me at typicallydia on Twitter or Instagram or wherever you hang out online. 